ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to Edge of Your Sea Podcast. I've been watching way too much wrestling at some point in my life. As I turned on the mic, I'm like, you know what? I gotta do that. Welcome to Edge of Your Sea Podcast. This is episode 79. I am your host, Brandon Lachance. Thank you for joining us as always. Love the support. Appreciate the compliments and thoughts about the show. I've been getting a little couple critiques lately about, hey, this is cool, this is cool, you can do that better. I appreciate it all, and I take everything that is said heartful. Like, I want to put the best show possible out there. So thank you for everything that you've been telling me. Much appreciated. If you have any thoughts, comments, want to get your piece out there, your two cents, I'll even call 50 cents without a beat. Edge of your seat podcast at gmail.com. Tell us anything you want to. Also, social media, Facebook, Edge of Your Seat Podcast, and Twitter, Edge of Your CP. And if you know anybody that listens to podcasts, or you want to tell a friend or family member about this cool show that you found, tell them about Edge of Your Seat Podcast. We are on Spotify, Apple Music, iTunes, and Google Music. I like to think all of these shows are awesome. This one is definitely awesome. Mendota baseball coach Aaron Sester, friend of mine. We went to high school together. He's a year older than me, so we've known each other for a pretty long time. I was already writing for the local newspaper when he started coaching for Mendota, and we've kind of intertwined our careers here. So it's been a lot of fun, and I'm like, hey, I gotta have this guy on the podcast. He knows all about sports. He is a huge sports guy, just like myself. So it was amazing to have him on, great conversation. And we talked about absolutely everything. Today is April 30th, it's a Thursday. I spoke with him April 21st, so last Tuesday, about a week and a half ago, he predicted the future. I asked him, hey, where do you think two is gonna go in the NFL draft? Hits it spot on, spot on. Talks about the Bears draft, we talk about the Bulls a lot, especially the Last Dance docu-series. At that point, only episode one and two had been out, but he kind of talks about everything Chicago Bulls. So it was really cool. I mean, that's when we grew up. So, you know, we were watching the games, but didn't really know what was going on behind the scenes. So he kind of brings a different perspective, which is always appreciated at Edge of your seat podcast. When I am not watching sports, there's like two other options that I'm doing. Okay, three. I'm either reading, playing a video game, or listening to something on my phone, whether it be a podcast or music. So the other day I was playing a video game, Call of Duty, and my friends were talking about their headsets, and I'm like, so what's the difference? We got some PlayStation Golds, we got some PlayStation Platinums, we got this HyperX Alpha, HyperX Cloud9, Hyper, HyperX everything. So I'm like, what is the difference? Man, I opened up a giant can of worms. Everybody was going nuts about talking about different headsets. I was like, I didn't even know the difference. I just thought either plug it in your controller or it's wireless and you can talk to people. Oh, but this one's comfy. The ear cups are, you know, they're like cotton on your ears. I'm like, cotton on my ears? What? So crazy. So I decided like, hey, I'm going to like web browse looking for a new headset. And they were not kidding. There are so many details to every little headset. I thought to myself, we have taken the shopping thing and being comfortable and looking cool to a whole nother level. So many different little nuances and details and intangibles about just a headset. Like I thought it was just speakers and a mic that you could talk in. No, it is way more complex than that. It was crazy, super crazy. 
So I spent like two hours shopping around. And then a friend was like, hey, I got this set. You want to try it out? And I'm like, sure, why not? So that's what I did. Help out a friend. I got a headset. Why not? But if I don't like it, I'll give it to my nieces and nephews, and then I'll get another one. So I was like, hey, it's a win, 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 win. Well, I think I got one more niece and nephew. So win. But that's leading up to my next point. I know we're like struggling, coronavirus, COVID-19, you know, people are not working, unemployment rates are up, all this other stuff. And we've already discussed it millions of times, and we're probably going to talk about it more. Just not now. Not right now. But our shopping levels and things that we want and all the little gadgets and doodads and all the things that we think are cool when they first come out is craziness. Like I'm on Facebook just looking to see if any sports news or anything, trades, a friend had a kid or it's his birthday, you know, anything. I think it was at lunchtime, just bored, just scrolling, waiting to get back to work. And every like third image is an ad, whether it's a watch or a pair of shoes or one of those clothing subscription things. Not really a subscription, but hey, spend 200 on a box and we'll give you some awesome clothes. You know, things like that. It is ridiculous how much ads are just on Facebook. Everything is trying to sell you everything. And it's been this way for a while, but I think it is the worst it has ever been right now. Like I said, every third image was trying to sell me a different watch or a different shoe or a different hoodie, a different sweater, a different painting to go on a wall, which I'll probably buy a couple because like I said, Edge of URC podcast needs some decorations in here. So many different things to try to grab my money. And I'm not gonna lie, I haven't bought anything yet. I have not, but I've saved a bunch of those links. Like, okay, if I really feel like I need to buy something, I'll maybe purchase one of these. There's a couple cool watches, a couple pair of shoes that I'm like, hey, I can see myself rocking. But that's exactly what it is. And I wonder personally, like how much do you shop off of those things? Like you see all the ads on Facebook, I know Wayfair, they have ads, all these places, ads, 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 ads. It is worse than watching TV now. I feel like it is. Back in the day, you're like, oh, I don't wanna watch these commercials, but you didn't have a DVR, or you couldn't fast forward it, or you didn't have Netflix with no commercials, or Hulu, where you can have the commercials and they're like 90 seconds or something like that. Like they went on for like minutes at a time. That's kind of what Facebook is. Like if you scroll for 10 minutes, you're probably gonna see 15 ads. Like it's super crazy. And I know they're getting some of you. They're probably gonna get me pretty soon. But I just wonder how much money you're spending off these ads or if you're actually buying stuff off of there. I'm just curious. Like I said, hit us up on social media or the email edgeofyourseatpodcast at gmail.com to let me know how much you're spending off these ads on Facebook. I'm just super curious. We're always trying to market, always trying to make money, and now they have turned the thing that everybody's on. I mean, Facebook is its own country. Everybody is on it, pretty much everybody. So why not advertise the living daylights out of it? And that's exactly what is happening. Worse than ever. What I've also been watching besides advertisements, it's like old games. We've been talking about it here and there seeing the Kerry Wood 20 strikeout game, seeing the Max Scherzer 20 strikeout game, saw a few Chicago Bulls playoff games, NBA Finals games from the 90s. And it is so crazy how insane the graphics are now. I know, we've probably already heard this talk about it, graphics are nuts. Then I even went back and watched a game from like 2010. I'm like, 2010, 2020, sure it's 10 years, can't be much different. Oh no. 
It is insane the amount of differences. The pixelation, the production, the... Say a baseball player, we'll say he's a left fielder, and the camera guy is like by third base. You can see the sweat dripping off of him. Like that's the craziness of those graphics. Back in the day, 1990s, they had to be like right on them, face first, to even see anything like that. Sometimes you had to do that just to see like their expressions. Not anymore. That's how advertising got so much better too with those graphics. You can show every, every little detail of that brand new watch that you want to buy, Johnny. These are things that I've noticed watching TV and being on my phone a lot. Usually I would be doing something with people on my phone, but like business purposes, texting, calling, whatever. Now it's just like that's what I'm doing, sitting around on my phone or playing video games or watching TV and just seeing these things that, you know, I'm sure we noticed and we've talked about before, whether it's on the podcast or you sit there like, Mom, how long are these commercials or... Oh, did you see this ad about this Wayfair couch or this watch? You know, stuff like that. We've been talking about it for a while. But the amount of advertising, the change of the graphics are insane to me. Going back and like looking and being part of, I guess, Facebook. Not that I'm not part of Facebook, but just paying attention more to the things that are on there. And it was hard to not pay attention to the graphics of watching Michael Jordan dunk, which seemed like it was on a 1992 IBM computer instead of a 2019 62 inch screen TV. That's what it looked like. And I'm like, man, why is it so awful? And I'm like, oh yeah, because it was in the 90s. Obviously, TVs, graphics, they have changed. They have updated. In this time of quarantine, Maybe you're starting to notice some changes and updates that need to be made around your home. Whether it's a light fixture or an entire kitchen remodel, Olson Construction is here to help. The family-owned and operated company prides itself in offering family prices with family honesty. Olson Construction specializes in roofing, siding, windows and doors, deck designs, remodels, and garage and room addition. Owner Keith Milas has been in construction for over 10 years and is willing and able to take care of your home renovations from start to finish with your thoughts and opinions taken with every step of the journey. For a free estimate, call Olson Construction, which is fully licensed and insured at 815-910-5982. can also find Olson Construction LLC on its Facebook page or via email olsonconstruction19 at gmail.com. One more thing I want to get to before we kick it to Aaron Sester is there's been a lot of talk about Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers. The Packers in the NFL draft drafted Jordan Love, a quarterback, and now everybody is sweating that Aaron Rodgers is either A, going to leave the team, or he's going to get pushed out. I think this is all crazy. And they're doing what they're supposed to do as a franchise and seeing that their franchise quarterback is getting older and he's not going to be there forever. So they trade up, get a solid quarterback in their eyes, we don't really know this yet, to try to train under Aaron Rodgers while he's still there. Aaron Rodgers has not said a bad word, hasn't really made a fuss. The media is. I am because I'm like, man, you can't even get mad about that. You have to understand you're 36 years old and they're just trying to preserve their future instead of having a huge drop-off once you hang it up or if you leave. Brett Favre says that he thinks Aaron Rodgers is going to go and not finish his career 
as a Green Bay Packer. I really don't want him to finish as a Green Bay Packer. I wish he would have left 10 years ago. That would have made me feel better. Great quarterback on the worst franchise in professional sports history, in my opinion. Think what you want. But he's great. He's fantastic. I think his skills are diminishing a little bit. I think he's slowing down. But we will see. Aaron Rodgers, when he got drafted, sat underneath Brett Favre for a couple years and learned the system. Learned how to play the game of football at that level. I wish every rookie had that opportunity. I think the level of quarterback play would be way better than it is right now. Steve Young sat behind Joe Montana. Greatness trickles down. Yes, every player in the NFL is talented, but maybe their head game isn't right, or they have a small little quirk, mechanical-wise, that needs to be switched, or their game decision-making, their reads as a quarterback, where they're going to throw the ball, reading the linebackers, reading the defense. Maybe there's just one little thing that needs to be tweaked. Why not learn from somebody that's been in the game, that has had success, that has won Super Bowl rings? Why not do that? Why get thrown straight from college to the pros when you don't have to? When you can learn and sit down and be the best at your craft even before you get there. That would be amazing. I wish they would understand this opportunity. I know everybody wants to get in to the game and play automatically. But why go in there and get beat up and look bad instead of being able to understand where the defense is, make good plays, good reads, good passes, and get dubs? I know neither Jordan Love or Aaron Rodgers has made any talks or discussions about this, but it has been all over the place media-wise, and Green Bay Packer fans are kind of tweaking out thinking Aaron Rodgers is going to leave. I don't think he's going to leave. I think he's going to help this next guy grow. He's a pro. He's kind of a diva, but he's a pro. That's what pros do. Teach the new guy. Well, I hope you enjoyed the intro, and I hope you enjoy listening to Mendota baseball coach Aaron Sester even more. He's a great dude, great chats. We go full circle talking about a little bit of everything. We will be back tomorrow on Friday with another show. So until next time, peace. If there's anything that you find out about me personally from this podcast or even knowing me outside of this podcast, I'm a huge sports guy. Always have been my entire life, whether playing, coaching, writing about it, whatever. The guy that I have on today no different, more of a player than I was, no doubt, in just about every other sport. But Aaron Sester, the Mendota baseball coach, how are you, man? I'm doing great, man. Thanks for the opportunity to come on to your podcast. My first one, so I'm looking forward to the opportunity. Definitely. I was excited to have you on. Like I said, you're a big sports guy, just like I am. We went to school together. You're a year older than me. But even in adult life, after we got out of school, you played in college for a little bit, and I went to college and wrote about sports. And then you were coaching, and then I was interviewing you for stories. And now we're kind of not doing any of these things. How much has your life changed, my friend? It's been crazy, um, that's for sure. It's different. Being isolated, one of the things we talk about in one of my classes in sociology is, you know, humans are, are creatures of habit, and so social interaction is something that human beings strive for. And so during this pandemic when, you know, you're basically told to, to stay away from, from people, you know, rightfully so, for the health and well-being of everybody, it's, it's just interesting. But, uh, no, I'm, I'm staying busy, definitely teaching. Teaching is... Uh, I spend a lot more time with uh, with my classes than with uh, with the baseball team right now, just trying to get everything organized on a day-to-day basis for those kids as we fi- finalize the year. But, you know, doing some house projects from time to time, I have some of the best roommates that I could be isolated with, with my wife and my two kids. 
And, uh, and I will say, if there's a positive for, for my family is getting to spend time with, with them on, on this unprecedented time period. You know, I have two daughters that are two and four, and, you know, I, I wish that I wasn't at home with them um, and we were at return to normal times. But being able to spend time with them during their ages that they are has been nice. But, yeah, just kind of staying busy. Hanging out with the family, doing some house projects. I built a sandbox this past week that the kids are loving. So just doing stuff like that. Definitely. And it's weird how, even with quarantine, like, yeah, everybody's in a quarantine. It's weird how different it is from person to person. You know, you have a family of two kids. I'm single, chill by myself. So when I'm off of work, I'm on weekly rotations. You know, it's like, what do you find for yourself to do? But you're still trying to find something to do regardless. It's just weird and different of the dynamics. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then that's where, you know, technology nowadays, you know, when I was born in 85 and grew up in the 90s, we saw the dial-up internet where, you know, you're the brzz, somebody would pick up the phone line and knock you off. And that's been the kind of the great thing about Generation Now is they have access to more social interaction through through Zoom video and stuff like that, those different modes of, uh, of interaction. I personally have been lucky enough to have, you know, be at home with my family and, and get to spend time with them. But yeah, it's different, different for different folks. You just brought up a good point. If this would have happened, say, 30 years ago, what would people have done? I mean, after you get your house projects done and you build the garage and stuff like that, you didn't have internet. You couldn't play PlayStation against your friend from four states over. You couldn't do the things that we can now. You weren't streaming Disney Plus or Netflix or none of that other stuff. So it just brought it up like we are fortunate that this is going on in the time that it is. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, that, that's uh, an easy platform. You know, you talk about video games and gaming and stuff like that, where you can literally be uh, talking to somebody online, playing a game with them that's, you know, your next door neighbor with, with being able to socially distance yourself uh, safely during these times. Yeah, back in the day, I don't know. I really don't know. We'd have to, you know, open up the window and, and yell out and, and check out our neighbors that way. A lot of playing in the dirt, probably, you know. But I will tell you, you know, in those times, we had, you know, regular Nintendos and Game Boys and, and kind of the uh, the old Ataris back in the 80s, the, I guess, the beginning of the, uh, the console wars as they started coming up with PlayStation and Nintendo 64 and all that. But yeah, we, we were outside a lot. And so we played together with a lot of our neighbors, um, pick up games, football, basketball, hockey, baseball, wiffle ball, you know, anything that we could do to be competitive, you know, with the neighborhood kids, uh, that's what we did. So yeah, it'd definitely be different if we didn't have a technology because it'd be a lot more isolated without it. I wonder what this is going to do for our society moving forward because, you know, people our age, I'm 34, right around you, obviously a year younger than you in school. People our age and older would be like, man, never see anybody outside at the park, never see anybody, you know, playing basketball or playing pickup football. Like, you just don't see that that much anymore. I wonder moving forward if kids that are stuck in their house, if A, they're going to be like, hey, I'm playing video games. I love it. I'm just going to do it more. Or if they're like, hey, there was all this opportunity to play with my friends out in the playground on the basketball court and I couldn't do it. Now maybe they'll fiend for it a little more. Yeah, it's a, it's a great point you bring up. You know, and it's, it's one of the things that, you know, it's just it's so surreal that you kind of take things for granted in life, you know, whether it's health, whether it's family, it's relationships, jobs, it's, you know, whatever it is. But um, as you get going and it's always there, it's just something that you never actually sometimes reflect on. And, and yeah, so I think, I think you're right on where a lot of people might actually have the reverse effect when this is over and it's, it's safe to do so, you know, get outdoors and socialize more. And I think once human race get the uh, pandemic under control, 
I think more people are going to start getting out there and socializing in terms of more than they ever had before. Me and my daughters, we uh, had them color some Easter pages for my parents, and I went and dropped them off, and my dad is working from home, and he had mentioned that we made his day by dropping that off, and I just said, yeah, you know, um, we have to get together more, like me and, and my parents and my brothers and my, my brother's families, my nieces and nephews. We just we just got to find time to get together more, my wife's family, just because it's it's so important and life's too short. And you just, you never know. You know, you never know when, you know, you only go on this crazy merry-go-around called life once, and you just never know when it, when it could be, be it. Yeah, I think if there's one thing that you can take away from coronavirus, of course, we wish it wasn't here. But if you're optimistic and, you know, looking for the best possible outcomes or changes when something like this does happen, I think we're all spending a lot of time reflecting on, you know, our lives get really, really busy and we think we're doing the right things and what we're supposed to be doing. And then obviously there's a change with this coronavirus. Everything's put on hold. And then you realize the things that are important to you and the things that might not be so important that you thought were. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a very, very great point that you make there because yeah, you're exactly right. You have you have time to just take a breath and say, wow, what's going on? What am I thinking about right now? What's most important right now while I'm, while I'm kind of forced to be at home? And obviously those are the things that are the most important and most dire to you as, as an individual. So I think you're right on there in terms of, you know, reflecting. People are reflecting more. And it's, it's crazy, man, for the seniors. I tell you, I, I feel for, for them, uh, not only sports-wise, but just the seniors in general around the, the country because they're, you know, graduating. And college seniors as well and people, uh, prospects that are looking for jobs, it, it's just so much uncertainty going forward you know senior year whether it's in college or high school is crazy enough in terms of you're trying to figure out where you are in this world and let alone you throw on a pandemic where you know jobs are being cut and jobs are being lost um we're we're not sure how long this is going to be how long this is going to take i feel for all students but especially the seniors we're talking about you know taking things for granted i have thought about this over the last couple weeks the proms the you know process of looking for colleges and all this other stuff that maybe when we were going through it or people our age in general just thought nothing of it like i went to prom my senior year and i was like hey i went okay cool and didn't really think about it much but now with people not even having the ability or the opportunity to go makes me think like hey i'm glad i got that opportunity a little more so i I feel for you or feel for them and agree with you that it is unfortunate yeah, you're, you're totally right there. Just just given the opportunity moving forward with being able to go through those experiences, um, getting outside and playing catch. As a student, you're as a young human, I guess, in, in America and in many places around the world, your, your life is kind of scripted for you. Um, I mean, you're going to go to school. Some may work during school, some may not. Some may go into extracurriculars, some may not. But you're pretty much you're required to go till you're 18 years old, at least, to school. And in everything in school is scripted. Like you said, you have homecoming, you have prom, you got Sadie's, you have 8.15 to 3.30 or 8.05 to 3.20, whenever your school day is. You know, and that's your script that you do. And yeah, like you said, they don't have that right now. And it's, it's, uh, it's definitely unprecedented, that's for sure. Let's talk about your seniors. I mean, unfortunately, you get, do not get to coach them one more year. They do not get to play for you. So let's just talk about them and what they mean to you and to the program. 
Yeah, I, I sent a message today on uh, Google Classroom to them, thanking them, telling them about the IHSA release and canceling the spring tournament. Gavin Glazebrook and Mauricio Escatel from Mendota, and then we had the three seniors co-oping this year uh, with us from Lamoille High School. Max Roger, who's a foreign exchange student, and uh, Luke Moore and Garrick Trent were the three seniors from Lamoille. They're going to be missed. I told them on, on the Google Classroom Zoom video that I recorded, I just said, hey, when this is over, I'm going to make sure we get together and give you guys a big hug when, you know, when it's safe to do so, just to catch up with them, because I, I feel for them. We only had five seniors, but still those five seniors were looking forward to playing this season, and they it's gone, you know. So uh, IHSA definitely made the right decision. You can't put the safety and health of, of players and families ahead of a game, but you can't help but feel for the seniors who out of their control won't have a senior season to play definitely and thank you for bringing it up you mentioned the ihsa meeting they had a meeting today and decided to cancel all state tournaments spring sports wise in the state of illinois i know they waited until now to do it but i kind of think like most people felt like that was going to happen anyway yeah, and, and that's kind of what I put out in the message, too. I said, I know some of you might have been anticipating this. You know, with Governor Pritzker extending out school closures to the rest of the year, there, there was really no way that the, the IHSA could have ran a state tournament. Yeah, I think it was kind of inevitable as of right now per their release that, you know, the summer stuff is on hiatus as well, depending on, on what happens moving forward. So, you know, this could be a situation where, you know, knock on wood, we hope, it doesn't for everybody's sake, um, but this could go into the, the summer or fall next year, and, and really nobody knows. Yeah, you said the word a couple times. Uncertainty is the main key word of we don't know what's next. We don't know what we're going to be able to do, when we can do it. And when we get back to, I guess, normal, is it really going to be normal? I think there's going to be a lot of changes. I 100% agree with you. It's crazy because we'll, in class when I'm teaching, I, you know, I'll bring up a major event in my life that I remember it was 9-11. And I remember exactly where I was. And I'm, I'm, you, you might be similar with that at the old high school. You know, I, I personally was walking between first and second period down the steps to go to class back in the old high school. And I asked a student, I said, what's going on? Because there's a lot of commotion. And uh, the student said, I don't know, somebody I think flew a plane into a building. And that moment, like when I found out about that, that had changed, you know, personally, my generation uh, and society changed tremendously after that, uh, those events. And I think that this is going to be this generation's, you know, 9-11 in that unfortunate events that, that will change society for sure. I don't know if that makes us old or unfortunate to be part of both of these. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, old, old for sure. Yeah, and, and definitely unfortunate. It's one of those things that the seniors weren't even born in, in 2001, so. Yeah, definitely. I remember exactly where I was. First, I saw it on ESPN while I was getting ready for school because I was always late to school because I really didn't want to be there. So I saw it on ESPN before I went to school. I get to school, and I think it was my first hour class was uh, Mr. McKenzie's, I don't remember if it was U.S. history. It was a history class of some sort. And they rolled in the old bubble TV and put it on yeah. you know, on the, the black carts and turned it on. And that's what we did pretty much all day is we watched that different classroom. <laughs> yep, yep. Every classroom had those old, old TV carts rolled in, and that's all we did. We just sat there and watched, and it was, everybody was just captivated with what was going on and shocked and, and just watching. I mean, no, nobody, there wasn't, like, 
students talking to each other or shit chat and it was literally just class to class just watching news footage and and camera footage and and news outlets on what was going on in in new york was mendota part of i don't know what they called it or if there was a name for it but on friday they turned the lights on for seniors across i'm pretty sure it was across the nation but i know definitely in illinois there was a lot of high schools and teachers and coaches that turned on lights for their seniors yeah, they did that. Uh, spread the light, I think it was called, or share the light uh, for the 2020 seniors. Uh, the whole big Northern Conference, from what I understand, was part of that. So, yep, Mendota High School was, was part of that. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. Awesome. What did Mendota do for it? Did they light up the football field? Yep, yep. Lit up the football field and then allowed a caravan to kind of go by in their, in their cars to, to look at it and tribute to the seniors. Yeah. I will give us props as a society. Like, we could be wilding out. We could be acting super stupid or even madder than it seems like we have been. Of course, you hear people complaining about this and that. Like you said, it's about change. We are used to a certain routine, our environment, whatever. And then when that gets messed up, we tend to complain and moan and, you know, all that other stuff. But I do feel... Like it is pretty mild compared to what it could be because this is influencing every single human being, not just in America, but across the world. The coronavirus doesn't pick its its victims. It doesn't care. And I think that's that's the, the unifying fight that humans on this whole earth have to come together and, and solve this pandemic. And then hopefully use this to prepare for possible ones in the future. You know, so something like this can be prevented going forward and I think you're right with, with people being kind and understanding and more patient. I think that's an important part of just being human being and being compassionate. As a teaching profession, and you, you just don't know what you know what the kids are going through. And so you try to be as compassionate and just be there for them. And when you're given assignments, if they're turning in late or they're turning in late, uh, late at night or whenever, just, you know, whatever. Yeah, get them in when you can. Um, you know, I hope everything's going well with, with you, you know, so... It is nice to see the sincerity in people and, and the kindness that they're showing towards each other. Totally agree, my friend. Totally agree. Thankfully, there is one thing that it seems like the entire world is looking forward to, and that is every Sunday on ESPN. This past Sunday was the debut of The Last Dance 10 part docu-series about the 97-98 Chicago Bulls. You and I, from Illinois, hour and a half away from Chicago, big sports guys. Michael Jordan is the role model sports icon of us, all of us, our age, or even younger. How was it watching that? It was awesome. It was awesome. I have to admit, you know, I was born in 85, so I don't remember, I was too young to really remember the early, the first three-peat. You know, I was six, seven, eight years old, so I was there, I was cognizant, I just assumed that, you know, that the Bulls always won. Like, that's, that's, that's me, that's what they were. They were an organization that always won. So the backstory, you know, before Michael got there was super interesting to me, just learning about that whole process and the Bulls organization and how, you know, they didn't really draw fans in the 80s until MJ. He just changed that whole organization. But, yeah, it was awesome. I'm looking forward to the upcoming series and the next play on 3 and 4 on Sunday. It's going to be It's going to be great. The cocaine bulls. When they said that, talking about how they all partied and then Michael Jordan sharing that story of how he went and knocked on a door. He heard somebody like, hey, who is that? Found out it was him. They're like, oh, he's a rookie. Let him in. And then he's like, hey, there was women over there, lines of cocaine over there, drinkers over there, smokers over there. He's like, nope, not my thing. I'm out of here. 
Yeah, that was there's some juicy uh, tidbits in that docu series. That's for sure. That was one of them. The uh, the rift with Jerry Krause and how Jerry Krause was treated was another one. I I didn't really fully understand. Um, Scotty Pippen, he made a lot of money in his day, but boy was he underpaid for the Bulls compared to his production. You know, you think about it today uh, and what he would have made much more than 18 million for one year, and he got that over what seven or eight years that contract. So there's a lot of individual details that. Even growing up in the 90s, like you knew Jordan was good. You knew like they had this dynasty, but you didn't know the, the kind of dysfunction that was really going on in that organization. And so it was, it was super interesting to me because I learned a ton from it, even though I lived it during the 90s as a Illinois resident, you know. I totally agree with you on that. There were some things that I was just like, I had no idea, even though I was in front of the TV watching every single Bulls game. The one thing that definitely, okay, there was two things that blew my mind. The first thing was, of course, Scottie Pippen signs a seven-year deal in 1991 worth $18 million. <laughs> There is no way in heck that any player today is signing a seven-year deal. No, no, absolutely not. I mean, that's across basically multiple sports. It doesn't really matter. Those are a rarity nowadays. But, yeah, that's, that's absolutely crazy. Seven years. And Jerry Reinsdorf, according to the docuseries, was like, don't, don't do it. That's a terrible... You know, it's a, that's a terrible contract. I, I get Scotty's defense. He's like, hey, man, I wanted to take care of, of my family at that time. And I totally understand, um, you know, his viewpoint. But boy, yeah, it's, I, I didn't really, I really realize how underpaid he was. Because he's one of the top 50 players of all time. You know, he's, he's up there. He's not to Jordan's level, obviously, as a, as a GOAT. But, uh, but he's definitely top 50 of all time as well in NBA history. Even 1997, I'm putting him in like the five to ten range, and he was oh, absolutely yeah, definitely. And he was the 122nd highest paid player in the NBA in 1997. Yeah, it's crazy. It's interesting that you know Jordan's perspective, and he was like, you know, it kind of ticked me off. I feel like Scotty was being selfish when he you know put off the surgery uh, to the fall of that 97 season. And that was the other thing I forgot too about. Just timelines. I kind of was kind of research on my own and, and stuff like that and from the docu series. I had forgot that uh, Jordan actually came back in '95 season and played half a year with them. I remember it now as I like kind of relive that, but I, I always thought he was just out for two years, but he was out for a year and a half, which is crazy. It's kind of a side topic, but yeah, there's small things like that you just forget as as you as you get older and you watch some of these, you know great teams and dynasties uh, and players like LeBron and the Warriors dynasty and stuff like that. But, but there's no, there's no challenging Michael. And I, I hope some of the younger generations kind of take away from the series of what we saw and how competitive and he just wanted to win. It didn't matter what cost. He wasn't there to hurt your feelings. Uh, I really didn't care about your feelings. He just wanted to win. Yeah. It's kind of funny that you bring up the, you know, Michael Jordan retired for, I think he said 18 months. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you retired for 18 months. I had a moment just like you did with the two years. I had gotten a book one time and it was talking about the greatest players in the NBA, things like that, and who was the all time greatest. And in this book, the guy thought that Shaquille O'Neal was the greatest player of all time and busted down stats and all this other stuff and then called him the only guy to beat Michael Jordan in his prime during the 90s. And I'm like, what is he talking about? And then he talks about the playoff series in 1995. And I'm like, he was gone in 95. He wasn't there. So I kept looking into it. And then I think I may have Googled it or something. I'm like, oh, man, he was right. He did come back. Yeah. Yeah. I had totally forgotten about that. I'm nine, ten years old at that point, And I just I wasn't paying attention really at that age. I just assumed that like I said they were always 
going to be a dynasty. But, you know, as I got older, I kind of forgot about those smaller details that, that makes the documentary so captivating. You know, you just want more. It makes you leaving, leaving wanting more. And that's, that's what good TV does. What is super crazy is they had hired this camera crew in 97, 98 to follow them around all year. And we are not seeing this until now, until 2020. Yeah, and I, I I don't know where I heard this if it was just on an article or what, but I, you know obviously it's it was MJ's decision. He got approached multiple times and given the permission to basically run with this. And I also I you know there was some uh, Bleacher Report reports I think or something that said he was pretty worried about his image and how he was gonna come out looking after this. And but yeah, once he gave the okay in, in 2016, apparently. I think it was 2016 after LeBron won the championship with the Cavs. Uh, they started rolling with it. But, uh, but yeah, I think he needed to have the, the greatest player of all time's permission before, before they could get going with that. Definitely. Well, I'm glad he decided to do it. Because, yeah, if yeah. I remember right, he's been kind of, you know, stay away or offlandish from, you know, the ESPN crews and, like, the media stuff. He hasn't been, you know, the Michael Jordan of old and around all the time. Yeah, he's he definitely staying out of the spotlight um, in terms of media and stuff like that. He keeps keeps a pretty tight ship now, and I think he's he still owns the uh, was it Charlotte? Yeah, I think he's a part owner or, or sole owner of, of Charlotte. So I think he still owns that NBA team. But yeah, it's, it's interesting in terms of, of Jordan. And yeah, you're right. He, he doesn't. It's kind of like he's gone away, and then boom, this documentary comes up, and it's it brings the whole spotlight on him again. Yeah, it is Charlotte Hornets. It was the Bobcats when he got him, and then he changed the name. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, Brought it back to the Hornets. The second thing that blew my mind was when they were handing out the 1997 NBA rings in the first home game in the United Center. I do not remember. At that time, I would have been 11. Yeah, I would have been 11 in 1997 then. I do not remember Jerry Krause getting booed like that. And yeah. then everybody else, the place erupts. I do not remember that. I remember watching it. I definitely remember watching that game. And I remember the rings being handed out. But I don't remember the crowd reaction of how they reacted to Jerry. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you there, too. And it's probably one of those things, like, when we were, we were that young, it's something that we just never really paid attention to but but yeah we've seen it now as, as we're adults it's it's kind of crazy like he gets booed he did do a lot to assemble that team around jordan you know he made that tra- that draft trade with seattle for uh, for scotty pippen and brought him in and made some other other good moves but i will say that i, I wish he you know as a bulls fan as a chicago fan i wish he would have let the team kind of run its course you know i know his philosophy was well they're aging we need to get younger we need to rebuild but to me like as an organization when somebody beats you in the playoffs when somebody beats you in the championship that's when you kind of start having those conversations if you're dominating and you're winning still why break it up you know you pay whatever you can to to keep that dynasty rolling because who knows they i know they were getting older but they could have possibly won one or two or three more you know championships Besides the three or four great years that the Bulls had Derrick Rose and then built that team with Luol Deng and Carlos Boozer, Joaquim Noah, Ben Gordon, those guys, they didn't even get to a finals, and they have nothing else besides that little run, those three or four years, 
Everything yeah. else has been awful basketball. Yeah, yeah, and they've made some big changes in their organization, you know, in the last couple of weeks with, you know, bringing in a new president of operation and changing general managers and potentially, who knows if they're going to keep their coach or not, but there's potentially getting rid of him too. It definitely hasn't been the same since uh, since Jordan left, and, and Jordan made a good point, although the Cubs did break it. You know, he talked about in the, in the documentary the Cubs have been rebuilding for years, you know, and so he brought a good point. Like, rebuilding's not not what it's always cracked up to be. Especially when you're trying to rebuild after having the greatest player in your sport. It's so crazy. And what makes me think that this is even crazier is that Jerry Krause was not the owner. He's the general manager. So you have an owner that can pull the decisions like, no, man, this is not what we're going to do. And he didn't. He let Jerry run the asylum and threw away the greatest player and the greatest coach in NBA history. Just seems like it's a little bit of egos involved that kind of ended up breaking that up, but yeah, it's it's just crazy how the whole thing fell apart. And it's crazier that they all knew it going into that season. We talked earlier, like as a fan, as a young kid growing up, you you really didn't know any better. You just thought, well, the Bulls are the Bulls are going to win again. They're going to win another championship. You know, it's going to continue forever. Like that, that's your mindset because that's they've won six in you know the 14, 15 years of my life. So. But yeah, it's crazy when you're when you're talking about breaking up the greatest basketball player of all time, uh, and then Pippen and Rodman and Kukoc and Longley. I mean, those those guys were were really good players. Yeah, I was thinking about this after probably the day after, so probably on Monday, and I'm thinking about great teams that break up and how they slowly fell apart or things like that. The Bulls are the only ones that I can think about clearing house like they did. All the guys that you just said and more left. There was pretty much nobody from that championship team of remembrance, anybody good, that was still there. If you think about the Kobe and Shaq Lakers, Kobe was still there. You think about the crazy Utah teams or Seattle teams or any of those teams, there was still something there when they all left. Not the Bulls. Everything was gone. Yeah, a completely, completely clean slate. Ironically, I, I was I listened to the six seven the score quite a bit, and today they had Tim Floyd, the, the coach, next coach on, on the score, and they were talking to him, and they asked him a question like, "Would you have wanted to get a chance to talk to, to Michael to try to kind of convince him to, to stay on for another year?" And he's like, "Absolutely, I would have," but we were on a, a lockout during that that season, and he said, "Basically, I was told that it's a million dollar or something fine." And so don't do it. So because he said his, his best opportunity he got to talking to Michael Jordan was they were in the same hotel room, I believe, and he wanted to go and knock on the door just to sit down and have a conversation with him. But basically, ownership told him not to because of the uh, the lockout situation they were in. So it's another interesting side bit that the next year that you don't really know as a fan, as a typical fan, and that's something I picked up on the score today and listening with the interview with Tim Floyd. They didn't make Tim Floyd look awesome in the documentary. They didn't make him look exceptionally bad either. It was just like he was Jerry's guy that Jerry Krause wanted to bring in as the new coach. And Jordan's like, who's that guy? And Phil Jackson told Jackie McCollum, which um, ESPN did like a after the docu-series like breakdown. And she was saying that she talked to Phil Jackson and was like, what is he doing here? And he's like, oh yeah, that's the next puppet that's going to be put in line. I don't think yeah. he used the word puppet, but that was pretty much what he indicated. I think there was indication before even, and this is coming from the score and just me listening today, but even before uh, Jackson was hired, that reports are out there that Krause had told uh, Tim Floyd that he was going to 
be the coach of the Bulls someday. And, and so, I, you know, I don't know the whole backstory of it, but it's, it's interesting getting these details in terms of how the whole, you know, arguably best team, best teams, best dynasty in the history of sports basically dismantled almost overnight. And how they performed that last year, knowing it was that was it. They knew the last dance going in that this was going to be Michael's last year, and, uh, and Phil Jackson was was going to be done as well. Yeah, that says a lot about them to still be able to put the pieces together and be like, all right, we're going to play well enough to win another championship, and that's how we're going to go out. Even though they started off poorly, but then again, their second best player wasn't there in Scottie Pippen. So to be able to say like, hey, we're going to do this and then do it says even more about the team in my eyes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Basketball is different back then. I mean, it definitely, you know, whether it's you like it better back then or better now, it's it's different. It was way more physical back then. You could literally throw punches, elbows, knock people to the ground. You know, you do that in today's league and it's, you know, in flagrant, you're, you're kicked out and you're gone. So it's much more physical, much more demanding than your bodies in terms of just taking a beating night in and night out. And that's kind of what's impressive about the Bulls is they were able to win those six championships in the 90s during that, that era of basketball. I blame it all on LeBron James. He came in and weakened the league. <laughs> LeBron, he's a definitely a special talent, that's for sure. Oh, man. Special talent, but he's also a baby and complains about every time he's touched. <laughs> yeah, and I, well, I think that's that's kind of the way the league the league went to as well. In the influx of the, the three-point line. That's the other thing that shocked me, too. I forgot the three-point line in his early college tapes in the 80s. There was no three-point line. And I'm like, man, when did the three-point line actually come in? I mean, I didn't realize it was that late in the 1900s, I, I thought like the three-point line was kind of thrown in in the back in the 70s or late 60s. But that's one of the things that kind of struck me too. I'm like, man, I didn't realize the three-point line didn't exist there in, in Jordan's college years. And not even just Jordan. When they were showing the playoff series with the Boston Celtics, I thought about that. Can you imagine Larry yeah. Bird if there was a three-point line? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It, yeah, it's crazy. And then they were, they were talking about some stats on the score again a couple of days ago, and they were talking how the I think it was the ninety six ninety seven season that the uh, leading three point scorer was Tony Kukoc, and I think he had like sixty threes the entire season, and that was it. Jordan had uh, thirty. They were running down the stats of all the Bulls that actually had made three pointers, and, and that's the that's the difference in the game too that from back then to today, where today you don't see you know the mid-range jumper um teams and professionals are discouraged from taking that mid-range jumper and instead focusing on going out to the three-point to get an extra uh, analytics of the game where you can score more points from out there and to put in perspective what you just said about tony kukoc only having that many threes and leading the league steph curry in five seasons of his playing career has shot more than 279 threes yeah yeah, yeah. Just it puts it 100 perspective. I don't know if he led the league, but he led the Bulls on that season. You think about that; it's less than one per game. It's just interesting in terms of a different game now. When when you watch basketball um, games, and part of your, you know, you're in colleges, you're running four guards out there a lot of times, spreading out the floor, burning up for the uh, inside uh, big guy, but shooting a lot of threes. I mean, that's part of the modern game now. Yeah, I don't think Tony Kukoc led the league either. I misspoke there. Probably definitely the Bulls. Yeah, he has. I'm not sure if he, but I, I, I guarantee you the leader probably wasn't much more than that.
And I'm guessing it was Reggie Miller. That's my that's guess. What I, yep, that's the first guy that came to my mind, too, yeah. That's my guess. Of course, I'm excited for all of them. But what I'm excited about is there's assignment TV. Like, that has been a while that we have had something where, like, man, you definitely got to check this out. Honestly, the Super Bowl happened in February. We were still watching sports there. More yeah. people are talking about this than they were the Super Bowl. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's crazy to think about. I know the ratings were through the roof. You know, it's only going to continue, and it's... It's kind of smart by ESPNs by breaking it up every Sunday because it, it's gonna people are gonna come back and they're gonna watch more. And it's, people are dying to watch any kind of sports that they that they can, and this gives it to them. It gives them history of it. I, I've been watching old Cubs games and old Bears games and old games on TV. A couple Blackhawks games from their championship runs, but it's, it's sports offer a, a distraction from from the pandemic and what's going on. And so this this docu documentary is good for America to get to get them just watching something. Yeah, and I feel like it is already happening. Like I put on Facebook talking about, man, I can't believe it's already over. The first two episodes is it next Sunday already, and I had like three, four, maybe five friends on my Facebook either put a comment on there or text me and like, what are you watching? What are you talking about? And then I told them, and they're like, how did I not know about this? Oh, I'm definitely watching it now. So it's already starting to catch on even more than it was before. Yeah, yeah, you're 100% right. My oldest brother, who's a Cardinals fan, was texting me right before it started on Sunday saying he was watching an old 2011 St. Louis Cardinals uh, postseason game. And he started telling me that they were the greatest team ever, blah, blah, blah. So I'm like, I can't talk right now. I'm watching the, the Bulls documentary. But you're wrong, the 2016 Cubs were. Uh, and I proved it to him, too. I went back and did research and did a war on all the entire roster. And the Cubs 2016 war individually was like 57 to the Cardinals 40. So it, was, it wasn't even close. But uh, but yeah, he's like, oh, yeah, I'll definitely check that out. I'm going to watch that next Sunday. But yeah, I think you're, you're right. It's catching on more and more with people as the word gets spread. And it's nuts how in 2020, like, we watch documentaries. We watch the stuff on Netflix that probably 15, 10, 20 years ago, we were not going to watch. That's another reason I'm glad that they held on to that footage and Michael Jordan decided he didn't want to be part of it until now. Because I don't know if it catches on and we watch it like we are, especially, I mean, we're in a pandemic, we're quarantined at home, so we're trying to watch anything that we can. But... I don't think we adapt to a docu-series like this before the way that we are now. Oh, yeah, I, I think you're you're right. Just that content of one of the possibly greatest teams ever and the greatest player of all time, just being able to watch that and go through now when there's there's really nothing else sports-wise out there. I mean, you have the NFL draft coming up. That'll, that'll start this Thursday. And that'll be kind of interesting to watch. That's probably going to be another really highly televised, rated event. People are going to watch because there's nothing there right now. So I, th I think you're right. The way that we consume entertainment in terms of Netflix, you know, fast forwarding TV, um, recording and, and pretty much skipping all the commercials is different. I think you're, you're right. And if it wasn't for these times, it probably wouldn't have gotten the, uh, the fanfare necessarily that it is getting right now. One more thing about the Bulls thing and the way that we watch TV, and then uh, I want to ask you a couple things about the NFL draft. But first of all, ESPN had an after show for a docu-series. <laughs> that was crazy. When I saw Van Pelt come on and they had like the lights and it looked like, you know, Sports Center, I'm like, what are they doing? And it was an after show about a docu-series. 
Yeah. Yep. They're 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 trying to fill time. Saw that they were a lot of their the network was asking a lot of their talent to take a fifty. I think it was fifteen percent pay cut and stuff like that going forward, just because they, there's there's nothing for them to really report on. So a lot of it has been documentary based, and then the NFL upcoming draft. Uh, with the draft still going on and the virtual draft starting Thursday. But I was kind of surprised by that, too. I, I went to bed, so I didn't get a chance to watch that entire after documentary series. But I did I did see the few minutes where I think it was Jackie was talking about them calling Jerry Krause crumbs because he would, you know, drop. I think I caught that bit. Um, but that was basically the extent of what I saw from that. But I, I had similar thoughts. I'm like, man, this is crazy. You're having a whole ESPN like sports center show or documentary. But yeah, it's, it's definitely different. I don't know if you're a binge TV watch guy. We've mentioned Netflix and there's Disney Plus. And you can go on these streaming sites and watch whatever you want, the whole season, the whole series. If there's, you know, a movie trilogy, you can watch all of them, whatever you want to, whenever. I think what this is going to do, and it can be fortunate or unfortunate depending on how you watch TV, is they're showing appointment TV again. I said the word before, appointment TV, and showing how important it can be if you do set it up where you know this sunday is going to be episode one and two next sunday one and two or you know pick a different day whatever you want to instead of the binge mode that we have been in for at least the last couple years yeah i think you're right you know in terms of technology entertainment um and that's where you know, going forward, who who really knows what's going to be happening with with the entertainment industry and sports? Because we we all have TVs in our phone pocket now, and then that's where this generation get access to entertainment twenty four seven, like you said, live streaming whenever they want. So I think this generation obviously is more more inclined to binge than than our generation would be. But yeah, I still have binged a couple of shows. I watched the Tiger King series. That was kind of the first one we watched a couple of weeks ago, which is super entertaining. Um, I think it was six or seven episodes. Um, have you seen that one yet? What, which one did you say? I didn't catch it. The, the Tiger King. Oh, no, no, no. I've heard that I have to, and if I don't, I am not American. That's what I was told. Yeah, it's uh, it's very entertaining. Uh, I know it's definitely not about sports unless you're talking about extreme sports with you know keeping tigers and stuff like that. But <laughs> but there's uh yeah it, it it captivates you really quick. There's a lot of side stories going on with that one. But yeah, I think there's something to it where you know just live sports is tough because nobody really likes watching necessarily old games. You know, and so live sports will always be special in terms of content. But this documentary definitely came at the right time. No doubt about that. I have two quick NFL draft questions. Well, they might not be quick depending on your answers, but I have two questions. What do you think about Tua? Where is he going to go? Boy, I don't know. It's hard to, as a, as a traditional like consumer of sports, it's hard to kind of gauge as a, as a normal fan without the inside knowledge because, you know, you read all these articles that he's, you know, damaged and he's going to slip out of the first round and no, that's just teams posturing that, you know, they want him to slip to, to be able to draft him at the 11th, 12th round spot. Miami's got the fifth pick, is that correct? I think that's right. Yes. Around there, I think I I would I would say he's going to go on top ten. If I was a betting man, which I'm not, I I would say uh, I'd say Miami with the fifth pick. That's probably a good place for him to go. Unfortunately, it might ruin his career because they're not good. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes, (laughs) that is true. That is true. My second question: Us being both Illinois boys, you're a Bears fan. I'm a Bears fan. Where do the Bears? 
players need to go in this draft? Uh, well, I don't have a real sexy answer for you because I think they should just literally draft the best talent available. And that's just my opinion. I think they're primed to win now if they can get even average quarterback play, whether that's out of Trubisky or Foles. I think they can make a run. I mean, with top five defense that they have, defense wins championships, you know? So if they can get average play out of their quarterback, I think they have enough on offense. If their defense can sustain where they're at, I think they can make a Super Bowl run. So with that in mind, whether it's tight end or wide receiver or offensive line, or cornerback, you know, some of their areas of, of need, wherever they can get the best player available. I do like Ryan Pace. I know he's made some moves that haven't made out, uh, worked out. He, I think he messed up trading up to get Trubisky. I think he could have got him at the third pick instead of trading up to San Francisco again with the second. But you have to admire that. That's who he thought was maybe the next quarter, a great quarterback. And I've, I've never been a big Trubisky fan. I think he's very inaccurate, and you can't get the broad side of a bar, and that's that's a problem for a quarterback at the professional level. But he, he is still young, so who knows if he can turn around and figure it out. So, yeah, so whatever, whoever the best player available, it's, it's, that's how I kind of want to see him draft. So who knows who that's going to be. But so I'm looking forward to it, that's for sure. Definitely. Same here. I am not trying to put the defense of the Chicago Bears in the same category as the defense of the 2016 with Brown, Erlacher, and, you know, all those guys. But we have seen that Chicago teams can go with defense with no offense. I mean, Rex Grossman was the quarterback. Yes, yeah. yeah and, that, and actually, that was a crazy year. He, there was early talk for him being the MVP through, like, the first seven games. And then he came down to earth a little bit during that year. But, but yeah, we, we've never had a real good quarterback. That's the other thing I hope the Bears do. You know, one thing Pace has said is he wants to draft a quarterback every single year. And he's only taken one, and that was Mitch. So I'm hoping he takes a quarterback somewhere in the later rounds to start you know, just throwing flyers on guys because you if that was who you are as a GM coming in saying you're going to take a quarterback every year, then you should stick to it. Take a quarterback every year. I mean, I'm not suggesting they take a quarterback with a, with one of their second-round picks, but they should definitely take a flyer in, in one of the later picks or maybe trade down one of their second picks to get more picks uh, just to get another quarterback. Throw them into the mix. Why not? I mean, competition fuels greatness somewhere. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we have talked for almost an hour, Mr. Sester. Thanks for joining our GRC podcast. And, I mean, we went kind of full level here. We went to coronavirus and Minnesota seniors and the last dance, Chicago Bears. We talked about it all. Yeah, yeah. It was super fun, man. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Anytime. Hopefully you have time to come back sometime in the future. You bet, man. You bet. Thanks a lot.